0: The, the fundamental role of a teacher is to stimulate, guide, encourage uh, the learner and not, not, not to be the source of all wisdom on the language.
1: to The Fluent Show, a podcast all about loving, living and learning languages. Hello everyone, my name is Kirsten Cable from fluentlanguage.co.uk. That's a website where you can find courses and tips and blog articles to help you succeed in learning another language. Here on The Fluent Show... We talk about anything and everything interesting from the world of learning another language. Sometimes I bring you interviews, sometimes I hang out with my co-host, Lindsay, and sometimes I answer listener questions solo. And today, it's an interview episode. You might know that from the description. And I'm talking to somebody who has a big name in the sort of language learning online community, very experienced person, And it is Steve Kaufman. Now, Steve is a former Canadian diplomat and forest industry executive. God, I love these bios. You never know what's going to come. But he is also a speaker of over 15 languages, has written a book called The Way of the Linguist, A Language Learning Odyssey, and he has a really popular YouTube channel over on the old YouTubes under the name of Lingo Steve. Now, Steve is also the co-founder of Link, which is an app you might have heard of because they sponsor a show right now. And I want to tell you that the interview with Steve was requested Years ago, I've had many people ask me to kind of record an interview with him. And Steve and I have crossed paths in many language learning events. I remember the first time I met him was in a polyglot gathering. The first time it was in Bratislava. And he's just there like jogging around Bratislava, having just arrived from Canada. Incredible energy and such a positive person to be around. Someone who really loves languages. So sponsor or not, I have been working on getting Steve on the show and getting together and bringing you this interview for ages and, ages and ages and it just so happens that right now our show is also sponsored by the company he has co-founded so let me today particularly emphasize the sponsor of the show and we will mention link as well in the interview and again I want to tell you this interview was recorded before I even knew that they were a sponsor before I contacted them and I said come on guys so I'm going to give you the formal sponsor read, but you will hear about Link. And whenever you hear about it, if you get curious at any point, it really is such a cool tool. Go to fluentlanguage.co.uk/read-more because you know, bonus. I was we were going to mention it anyway, and now there's a deal for you there. Let me do the formal read then. Our sponsor for this show is Link. <laughs> Everybody wants to read and watch videos in their target language. But not many people know how to get out of the YouTube rabbit hole or stop clicking around and get distracted. It's You don't know really how to use what you find online to the best of your advantage. But today's sponsor, Link, is going to dig you right out of there, get you reading, watching, listening like a pro. Link is very smart software. It's really cool. It helps you quickly look up words that you don't understand in the content that you want to read and watch. Every time a new page comes up, you straight away see these are, this is how many words you know, this is how many words you don't know because they're color-coded. And you can just cut straight to enjoying what is going on. Link is offering Fluent Show listeners 35% off of their premium plan. Great deal when you get your subscription through fluentlanguage.co.uk slash readmore. The premium Subscription includes all of the 25 languages that the software currently supports. So that's that. Thank you so much to Link for sponsoring the show. And before we get into the interview with Steve Kaufman, A quick reminder that the Fluent Show is also supported by a wonderful bunch of people and there are Patreon supporters. You can join and become a Patreon supporter. The lowest tier is just $2 a month. Give us, you know, put something in the little tip jar of the Fluent Show and you can do that at patreon.com slash Fluent Show and get yourself some extended show notes and exclusive extra episodes and things like that as well. I started this interview by asking Steve a lot of questions about how he started out because he is a fairly mature language learner. He's he's in his 70s and still so excited about it. So there's a lot to cover. But my first question was about when he grew up in Canada. He grew up in Montreal. So I started out by asking Steve how much French and English he grew up with.
0: Well, Montreal in the 50s was sort of divided into an English-speaking city of 1 million and 2 million French speakers. So we had French at school, but I didn't really learn much more than someone learning French in Toronto in those days. Today, Montreal is very much more bilingual.
1: Yeah, so you did you grow up bilingually yourself then?
0: No, I mean, I, I think uh, like everyone, uh, you know, I passed my French exams, but I couldn't really converse in French. And so it was uh, when I was uh, 17, I got uh, basically turned on by a professor of French at McGill University. And then I, when I became motivated to learn, then, of course, you know, in languages, when you want to learn, you learn. It's that simple. So I wanted to learn and then I learned. And the net result of which is I went to France and uh, took my, I took three years of university training there in France, l'Institut de Politique.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, I read on your website that you you say you didn't start out as a natural linguist but studied international relations in at McGill in the 60s. Is that right?
0: No, actually, I was at McGill for two years and I was taking basically English and French. I was quite interested in French, uh, so I didn't get into international relations until I went to France. I, You know, I, I actually hitchhiked on a boat, it was a German vessel took me across to Europe and I hitchhiked around there and settled into Grenoble for one year and then in Paris for two. And that's where I studied international relations.
1: So you did do English and French at university. You were quite, you were a language person before you... Yeah, well, I got
0: uh, interested in French. I, you know, I was quite young going to university. Um, I didn't know what to study. I, you know, I was kind of confused. Uh, we had an option in Montreal, we could go to university after grade 11 or after grade 12. And I went at grade 11, you know, as a 16 year old. So I took English and French, got a bit discouraged and took off. <laughs> Didn't know what to do at university.
1: <laughs> you got a bit discouraged.
0: Well, I, I couldn't stand the English, you know, that we were doing poetry and trying to find symbolism and all kinds of stuff like that that I had no use for uh The French was interesting. Was a course in French civilization, so I I was interested in you know the the French civilization part of it, not so much the language part. Uh, If you are interested in the subject matter, you then acquire the language naturally.
1: Mm, That's that's very interesting. That's a that's a good point of view as well. That you know you really need something that that interests you in in your target language Mm -hmm. was. Language learning in the, let's say, 60s, 70s, was that very different to what language learning is like today?
0: Well, uh, you know, French, which was the first one that I went after with the goal of becoming fluent, um, you know, there was radio in Montreal, there was films, you know, La Nouvelle Vague, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I certainly wasn't hitting the, you know, tape recorders or anything. Uh, but just doing a lot of reading, reading the French newspaper. And of course, eventually I went to France, so I just learned it because I had to do everything in French over there. When I studied Mandarin in 1968, of course, um, you know, you didn't have the internet. Uh, tape recorder was a great big open reel tape recorder that you didn't move anywhere. Uh, cassette tape recorders were just starting to come out um you know i i um, relied on on readers essentially uh books that had lots of different content with with reading lists because looking things up in a dictionary is so time-consuming and so self-defeating because you forget it right away so yeah it was quite different
1: mm-hmm. that is that is quite fascinating to me like i learned my first language in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And some of the things I, I think about, uh, they're sort of different, but it really seems to be the internet that kind of came in and, and knocked down the walls to to finding content, but also to everybody kind of thinking and discussing about different learning methods. Mm-hmm. But when I hear you talking, you, you sort of seem to, like the method that you often talk about, if we're going to talk methods, mm-hmm. I don't, here on the show, I don't really... I'm not crazy prescriptive because mm-hmm. I tend to I tend to sort of say to people, look, you just gotta like keep going and just mm-hmm. find something that you enjoy. Right. Um but what you often talk about is certainly um is you 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 often talk about Finding something you enjoy, reading a lot and kind of starting with starting with a lot of input and a lot of understanding. Mm. And it sounds like even in nineteen sixty-eight, that was something that intuitively you were already doing.
0: Uh, absolutely. You know, that's a very good point. I hadn't heard of Stephen Crash maybe Stephen Crashen hadn't begun spouting his theories in those days. But the, the 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 overwhelming importance of input was something that I naturally realized as long as uh, teachers were trying to teach me, you know, the 16 verbs that take et in French, you know, and all that kind of stuff, I never really got anywhere. But when I started listening to, in Montreal, French radio, reading the French newspaper, uh, trying to connect with French speakers, uh, basically, in, you know, getting content uh, into me, input, uh, I uh, improved very quickly. Uh, and in Chinese, that was my whole emphasis. I, I scoured the bookstores in Hong Kong for readers on history, on Chinese, you know, politics, on anything that had, you know, word lists. So the input, and of course, wherever I could get audio, which wasn't quite as easily available then, uh, I would listen. I would listen over and over and over again to stuff that I sometimes didn't understand very well. And I did the same in Japan, in for Japanese. But even though I lived in Japan, I, I would be constantly listening. So yeah intuitively even in the 60s and 70s i sensed that you had to get the language in you you had to get to where you understood the language what i was able to say i mean in hong kong no one spoke mandarin in the streets everyone spoke cantonese today people do speak mandarin but that wasn't true in 68 and in japan i had lots of people i could speak to but whatever things i was able to say didn't really matter so much as getting more and more of the language in me getting more words, getting my brain used to the new language. So, yeah. And of course, all of that, as you say, has become so much easier today with MP3 players, with access to so much stuff on the internet, Netflix, and even this community that you and I are both a part of, where people who are learning languages and who share their experiences of learning languages. So, yeah, it's, it's never been better than today.
1: Mm, were you always quite quite a confident language learner or did you if you think back to being younger living in Hong Kong living in Japan did you feel like you were lacking in any way or were you just sort of like no I'm on the right path this is progressing at at a good pace
0: well of course with the first language French I, I didn't even think of myself as a language learner per se it's just that I wanted to learn French because I was interested in French culture French civilization and when you're learning a language like that, you just want to be them. You know, I want to be French. Uh, so, and we'll just see where it takes me. But once I realized that I had become actually quite fluent in French, then I had no doubt that I could do the same in Chinese. Uh, when the government uh, assigned me to go to Hong Kong to learn Mandarin, and I remember a friend asked me, Steve, what if you can't do it? Doesn't that worry you? And, you know, the thought hadn't crossed my mind and uh similarly with japanese now bear in mind that uh when we're learning a language you know at first it's all noise and and it remains very ambiguous uncertain and we continue to forget and we can't figure it out and we we know all the words but we can't make sense of the sentence and this continues for quite a long time but i know that that's going to be the situation and so i never doubt the fact that in the end i will end up Comfortably understanding the language and being able to speak it, albeit with mistakes, like especially with with languages that have, you know, complicated things like cases and stuff. I will always make mistakes with my cases in German or uh, you know Russian or gender mistakes in French. But that doesn't bother me.
1: Mm-hmm. It's. I hear you saying that like, you you basically wanted to become French. And I think back to what I was like as a teenager learning English. And I'm thinking, gosh, yeah, I I wanted to be as English as I could possibly For sure. become. And and that the same, like I didn't really think about like, oh, I must learn this language, I must become good at this language. It kind of went went deeper than that. The interest yeah. in that particular culture was so much more intense. And I've never, I've never felt that way about French, and my French level reflects that. Even mm-hmm. though I've learned French nearly as long as as English.
0: Well, I mean, uh, of course you live in England, but but uh, you know, uh, I found, for example, when I studied Chinese, which was now my second language adventure, I wanted to be one of them. Um, Japanese the same way. If I was in Japan and I was in business meetings with. Nine Japanese or three Japanese. I was one of them. Uh, I think when we learn a language, we are in fact imitating w- an important aspect of the culture of that la- of that group. We're we're imitating their language. So the more we can imitate and want to imitate and be part of the group, the better we do. I, I often use the example. You know, we have uh, uh, you know foreign hockey players, pros in Canada, right? And uh, if you compare uh, either a Russian or a German or a Swiss or something, say professor at university with a hockey player, the hockey player always speaks English much, much better than the professor because the hockey player is together with his teammates. He wants to be part of that team. He's part of that group. Whereas the professor is in his ivory tower and may or may not, you know, they, he has all the words, but he just sounds more foreign. So that desire to be, to belong. Is an important element of successful language learning.
1: Mm -hmm. That must have come in. That must have come in kind of handy as well to to a diplomat, and you know, from your diplomatic career background as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, speaking the languages for sure. But I was on the commercial side, so I was dealing with the same Japanese business people uh, as a you know first secretary in the Canadian embassy as when I was working for a Canadian company or running my own company. So you're talking to business people in Japanese about business. Um, yeah, uh, although, I mean, I would speak to the Japanese government officials in Japanese, uh, yeah, it's, it's obviously uh, the government trains uh, their foreign service people to speak foreign languages so they can communicate with government officials in those languages. You know, English speakers assume that everyone has to speak to them in English, which is a very <laughs> presumptuous assumption. You know,
1: mm, there's the um, one of my favorite quotes is the Willy Brandt German quote about I don't know whether you've heard it, where there's a if I'm buying from you, then I speak English, but if you yeah. are selling to me, or if I'm selling to you, then I speak English, but if you're selling to me, then müssen Sie Deutsch sprechen.
0: <laughs> natürlich, natürlich. It's, it's strange, you know, the assumption that. Uh, Everyone should speak English. I mean, English is very convenient, don't get me wrong, and it's pretty handy that, uh, you know, a Brazilian and a Japanese have a a common language that they can use, so that's very practical. But, uh, you know, I watch American politics on TV sometimes, and somebody on Fox News was aghast that uh, uh, an American diplomat was speaking to the Ukrainian government official, sometimes in English, but mostly in Ukrainian or Russian like he must be a spy because he's speaking to the ukrainian government official in ukraine like that's what he's trained to do <laughs>
1: yeah yeah and it's it's a level of respect that is difficult sometimes to well of course
0: and you gain their conf- you gain their confidence i mean and and i would ask uh, you know we had difficulties with the japanese government we were working on market access issues and things like that and some of the Japanese government officials were sympathetic to what we were doing, and others were more protectionist and so you'd be speaking to them and trying to get the inside track on how do we convince so and so and and we were doing this in Japanese. I was anyway that's what the government wanted me to do <laughs> you know. anyway
1: so Steve, one of the things that stand out stands out about you at least in the in the let's say polyglot community in in the sort of among the events that we go to and stuff is that the level of activity and agility considering the age that you that you are where where many people will would not think of focusing on language learning to the extent so my first question um is is really what what do you know now about language learning that you wish you'd known aged 20
0: well First of all, the more languages that you know and speak, the more flexible the brain becomes insofar as languages are concerned. So the extreme case is, you know, only one language. You have only one set of sounds, one sort of set of structures for expressing things. And so you're very resistant uh, and you don't notice other ways of doing these things, other sounds, other structures. And the more languages you learn, the more flexible the brain becomes. So a new set of sounds, a new set of ways of doing things. Oh, yeah, fine. No problem. And you just accept these. So uh, I find that uh, I am better now at learning languages at age 74 than I was at at 20. I've done it so often. And uh, it's interesting to see how Turkish operates, how Arabic operates. And uh, that's that's how I do it. And uh, I just got to get used to it.
1: Mm, Do you still find it difficult sometimes?
0: Well, it's not that it's difficult. It's just a question of time. Uh, As I say, I think the good language learners accept the fact that for the longest time, they're going to go over the same material over and over again and still not properly understand it. (laughs) And six months later, they'll go back over that material and they'll understand it. And gradually, they'll notice more and more things. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. The more things that fall into place, the more new things we start to notice. And so it's just a matter of gradually getting used to a new language. And I don't think it's more difficult to do at age 74. It's all a matter of interest. Uh, I have, you know, learned some Asian languages, some European languages, and right now I'm interested in the Middle East. And so I just find it fascinating. Every day I download podcasts from Fonsfat Kat, where they have Arabic language podcasts, or, you know, Persian language podcasts, or, you know, TED Talk in Turkish. And it's interesting, fascinating. And I go through it. And now I can look up every word as I go, because it's obviously too difficult for me. But even looking up every word, and of course, I do it on links. That word is then saved, so I can review it later if I want to. Uh, But I'm able to get through these interesting articles, and I'm discovering the language as I go. But of course, not every word you look up will you remember. Far from it. You will look it up another five, six, eight times before you maybe start to remember it. Mm -hmm. but but i'm comfortable with that and and a lot of people are not they they do a lesson and now they want to nail this lesson down they want to nail this the subjunctive or they want to nail the vocabulary that they learned in that lesson well it just doesn't work that way and so i'm very comfortable with that but some people are a little bit (laughs) uptight they want to they want to learn it now well you can't learn it now
1: it strikes me sometimes how how uh, short to me 6 months seems in the general big picture of of learning another language yeah. like I, I assume that 6 months down the line even if i don't feel like i'm working hard i'm going to know more welsh than i know now just because i'm going intera- to interact with more welsh than i you know there's there's just time in between and there's going to be more welsh in my life 6 months more welsh means i'm going to be better and i often speak to people who find themselves very very frustrated if Uh, they haven't I don't know like made six years worth of progress in six months what what I think of a six months six years worth of progress
0: you know the surprising thing is that people expect immediate progress the fact is the brain has to learn if you keep on bombarding the brain with a range of experience that the brain is going to form new patterns and to deal with this experience so the brain will learn but it learns slowly and the same people who are frustrated that they haven't mastered the language in six months probably end up spending five years in the language and never made progress. So it's, you're better off to recognize that it's going to be, you know, it's not six months, it's longer than six months, but have a positive attitude. Be grateful for what you are able to do now that you weren't able to do even three months ago. And if you have positive thoughts and feelings about the learning process, you're going to learn faster. If you are frustrated at what you're unable to do, that in fact is going to slow down your ability, your progress in the language.
1: One thing that strikes me um, as well about when you when you spoke about, say, Middle Eastern languages is that something that you don't seem to do is, and that I often see learners doing, is waiting for permission to do what you are interested in, in in any language.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I'm interested in, say, these podcasts, which I understand like 20% of now when I listen to them. I used to understand nothing. Uh, But I'm now tired of having gone through my, you know, we have these mini stories at link. I've gone over them now. I have a basic sense of how Arabic and Persian work, but now I want to get into something meaty. And I want to do that when I feel like doing it. The thought that I would be in a classroom where the teacher dictates what we're going to learn today, and everyone has to stay with that program, that would just be anathema to me. I want to move forward. And and I'm not too fussed about what I'm able to say. Uh, I did make sort of an exit video after three months of Persian or Turkish, and I was able to say some things. But that, to me, is not the big thing. The big thing is how well do I understand? because I want to be able to speak well after a year. I don't really care what I'm able to say after three months. So by Mm. focusing on comprehension, and comprehension means vocabulary, and vocabulary means getting into things of interest to you. Uh, So that's the focus. And if I have that kind of a base in the language, the speaking will come.
1: Yeah, and the focus on comprehension I I really appreciate this this focus on comprehension but without waiting until you're good enough. I think a lot of a lot of people will would like to, you know, watch TV in their target language or whatever, but they're like, oh well, I'm not good enough to do that yet or just, you know, like I must understand this this much of it. Or is, and I I would say I'm probably the kind of learner who will happily watch a lot of TV in my target language with subtitles anything that comes in, though, that is just audio, I'm just going to... I cannot... I've got nothing to attach it to, so I dismiss it. So again, it's, it's, you know, work with your own discretion, but at the same time, there is nothing stopping you from taking in 12 Chinese sentences and then going, okay, I didn't understand any of that. I'm going to look that up or I'm going to ask the person, what does that mean? You still heard the sentence.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, the more little bits and pieces that you can understand the better. Uh, so you're listening, I'm listening to something in Arabic and I'm picking up the odd useful phrase, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not understanding at all. That still has some benefit, but that's not where I spend most of my time. Like I I'm now able to, uh, post, uh, if I have a, a podcast where the audio is very clear, I can put it to my automatic transcription service, happy transcribe or vocal I have an account there, 30 bucks a month for I don't know how many hours. And back comes a transcript, more or less accurate. So even though the transcript is not 100%, far from 100% accurate, it's got a lot of the words there. So then I can go through and try and learn those words. And and one of the ways to get out of your comfort zone, what I've decided to do now that I'm working on three languages at the same time, is I will, I've decided every day I'm going to do what we call a hundred links in each language. In other words, a hundred new words I will look up every day, a hundred new words every day, every day every day, for nine months. Now I won't learn them necessarily, but they go into my database in our system. they also go into my brain somewhere and I'll see them again and once I, when I see them again, they're highlighted a different color and, and I know from experience that uh, over time eventually they will be absorbed. but I am forcing myself every day to look up a hundred new words every day so no point going over stuff that I've already gone over because I won't find any new words there even though those older lessons contain words that I've looked up and I I still don't remember uh, but I'm saying no uh, I'm gonna force myself to go forward every day push myself into new material that's difficult
1: I love that. I love that you are still, you know, like you. Y- you might argue, well, you know, Steve Kaufman's been learning languages for f- like fifty whatever years. Steve Kaufman sort of knows what to do now, but you know, as well, and again, perhaps instinctively, um, that you know, pushing yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone every now and then is is part of the progress. And in a way, adding a new language again and again, even if you learned what, 2,000 languages, you'd still, every new one, I feel like, pushes you out of your comfort zone a little bit, or at least with the... Right. tennis I've done, I, I definitely feel like that.
0: Yeah, it pushes you out of your comfort zone, but it's not all pain. I mean, you're you're motivated to do that because you're interested. So, I am interested in those Middle Eastern languages. You're interested. Did you say Spanish or Welsh? So, you're interested. So, it's it's exciting to you. Like, I think it's interesting. You're learning Welsh. I mean, Welsh is a is a British language, and you live in Britain, and uh, it's it's fun. So whatever little bit you're able to do gives you a sense of satisfaction. So it's pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, but you're motivated by something that's inherently very attractive to you, and that's the same with me.
1: Absolutely, with with Welsh, I I really really fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm now in my for the fourth year mm-hmm. of learning welsh yeah. so i am conversational i'm um and now i'm i'm playing around with mandarin a little bit and it's another you know it's another sort of oh okay everything is new and i played around a little bit with bsl recently everything is new and and like maybe like you i i get I get stimulated, and it's a really positive feeling when everything is new. It's it's not intimidating, and that perhaps is the luxury of having done several languages before as well. Exactly. So, how many? If uh, asking numbers is always tricky, so right. don't give me exact numbers. Um, but I'm thinking sometimes when we look at people who have been learning languages for for the length of time that, that you've been lucky to learn languages, yeah. It's, it's easy. It's easy to look and perhaps a 25 year old or 20 year old might look at you and go, Oh, well, but Steve Kaufman knows all these languages, forgetting that you've had all this time. So I wanted to ask you about learning languages at different stages Mm -hmm. in your life. So Mm -hmm. say in your 20s compared to your 30s and 40s, what, you know, looking back, what is different about learning languages? And did, you know, are there any times in your life when you felt like, well, it's easier and what influenced that?
0: I mean, overwhelmingly, it's the technology and the availability of content. So in 1987, for example, I was between jobs and I said, I'm gonna do German. Now I had heard German. I even heard German at home. My parents were from Moravia, uh, which was initially when they were born, the Austro-Hungarian empire and then became Czechoslovakia. And I would say at home, they spoke German or check to each other, so I'd heard the language. Then I worked on a German ship for two weeks, and I worked in Vienna on construction, and but I couldn't really speak it. So I said, I'm gonna go after German. So for a month, I scoured all the secondhand bookstores in Vancouver and found a surprising number of German readers with uh, word lists after every chapter. And I just went through these, and so lots of reading, and I found um, uh, an audio cassette, uh, which was really great. They did all kinds of radio interviews. So in, in other words, with a great deal of effort, I found content that ha- was comprehensible because it had, initially it had these word lists and so forth and so on. Well, today, I mean, I can go on Deutsche Welle. I can go wherever I want. I can bring in digital content where I can look up every word uh i can load up mp3 files i mean it's the technology that's changed but the basic methodology input-based learning listening and reading really hasn't changed
1: Mm, and you always listen to what what you are reading so you've got a heavy emphasis on if you have an audio content you want a transcript if you've got something that is written you want an audio to go with it
0: well that's true in the initial stage like To get you going in the language. I mean, if you just listen to it, it's just noise. So you need a transcript and it needs to be short, and the first, uh, you know, beginner material needs to have a lot of repetition, like in our mini stories. Uh, But then comes a point where you can actually go off in two different directions. Every bit of reading you do in the language is helping you, so you can bring in newspaper articles, and everything you're listening to in the language is all good for you. Uh, You know, that's when the unknown word count is down to five. Five to ten percent, no more than I would say, max ten. Preferably around five. Once you're at that level, you're now independent. You can go audio only or text only. But up to that point, I prefer to have both because I, I don't like the feeling that I'm listening and I don't understand, or I'm reading and I would like to get some of the momentum of that interesting material, you know, into me so that maybe I can even use some of those words. So, you know, I would say. You know, until you're uh, uh, an intermediate, probably best to have both. Speaking of Welsh, by the way, speaking of Welsh, uh, my son and I were in Fukuoka for the polyglot conference and we wanted to watch the rugby game and we're sitting in a bar watching the rugby game on TV. It was between England and Australia. And there were a group of people sitting there speaking Welsh.
1: <laughs> oh, fabulous. Yeah. Oh well they they love their rugby in Wales. They so sure do. do, yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I used to I used to play rugby at university and my goodness. The, wow. the best people in my team were Welsh. <laughs> oh no, no doubt. No, no.
0: It's a religion I gather there.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. What what about, Steve? Different different stages in your life in terms of your life circumstances Mm -hmm. so something something that clayton asked when so i mentioned you know who i'm interviewing and asked do people have specific questions and something that community member uh, clayton was asking was about he was saying i'm finding it so much more difficult now i'm in i think he said in his 30s now i'm in my 30s because life is so much busier i just don't have i struggle to I struggle to fit language learning in. And I wondered with, with your level of, with your range of, of life experience and life circumstances, were there periods in your life where you felt like this just isn't, this just isn't as easy? And what do you think influenced it?
0: Well, obviously the more time you have, the better. Yeah. Um, but I, I, a lot of my life, I was working in situations where I needed these different languages um so and and i found the time because listening is the easiest thing to organize so so let's say that um you know i was doing a lot of business say i was buying a lot of wood in sweden selling it to japan uh japanese you know i lived there for nine years so that wasn't a problem Uh, i needed to improve my swedish because very often uh at at the sawmill we were talking to workers explaining what the japanese wanted in terms of wood quality and stuff so i just did a lot of listening to Swedish audiobooks where I had the text and I just put a lot of effort into it. But you can find the time to listen. Uh, I get up in the morning. I'm the one who makes breakfast and cleans up. So there's at least 20 minutes of listening there. Uh, if I'm driving to work or uh, on transportation, uh, I like to work out every day. So, there's a, so you can find an hour to listen. And now with the listening, if you then of saying, well, geez, I didn't quite understand that then you're motivated to go and read it so that the listening, if you get a, a listening habit, that can then trigger a number of other activities like, like reading. And then if you're constantly stumped by the same structural problem in the language, nowadays you might look it up, you know, Spanish subjunctive or whatever it might be. Not that you'll remember what you see there, but it, it satisfies your curiosity. So so the listening triggers a number of other activities. Another other forms of engagement with the language. So I would recommend that people who are very busy, uh, make sure you find the time to listen. There's, and and I have my iPhone with me all the time. If I'm waiting somewhere, I can either listen or I can actually link. I can sit there on my iPhone and go through a lesson linking words that I need to learn. So take advantage of all the dead time during the day and you'd be surprised at how much time you can create. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is no one who just works just works and, and, and just feeds their baby. That's not so. There's always time. Always time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That you sound incredibly, uh, positive. You know, you are incredibly positive to the extent where like you have such a trust that this works, you know, and sometimes I speak to people like that and it's, it's always fascinating because you really have, you really have a certain, internal attitude where it's like, well, I trust the process and the process is going to get me there.
0: Not only do I trust the process, but all of the ambiguity, the forgetting, the inability to find words when you're speaking and all of these frustrating things, making mistakes, never getting the case right. None of that bothers me. That's just a part. If I didn't want to have to deal with that, then I would only speak English because actually when I speak English, I don't make many mistakes. But when I speak other languages, I make mistakes. And that's fine. And I enjoy speaking other languages with mistakes. And I don't think other people judge me. Uh, I often make the case, you know, people are so fussed about their pronunciation. Uh, you know, I, I know people who speak English so well, use words so well. I had a, a Swiss, Swiss banker who always speaks like that with the Swiss accent. Doesn't matter doesn't matter people want to communicate with you or if all they want to do is judge you you know that's why it's so important that the communication be real if it's a pretend let's see how well i speak this language then we're talking about performance and judgment but if we're really only talking about do i understand what the person is saying does the person understand me i speak as well as i can speak and we're still communicating i'm happy so uh, I think a lot of people are frustrated with language because they have unrealistic expectations.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always find when when there is a focus on the level, of, I find it in myself as well. Sometimes when I think, oh, I have been learning Welsh for four years, mm-hmm. then it's much easier for me to feel frustrated because I can get into my head about where I should be and how long is four years, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, in reality, I can totally talk to people, and I can totally have a conversation. And if I don't know a word, it doesn't matter. It, especially, Welsh is, a, is an absolute luxury because you can always throw in an English word, and it never even stands out. It's you know, it's a country where it, it rare is a Welsh speaker. Like perhaps they don't, they don't even exist who doesn't also speak English. So you can right. always you can always throw in an English word if you get really right. stuck. Right. Uh, without too much shame or, or communication breakdown around it, mm-hmm. but it's you know th- there are there are really two different mindsets that you can get yourself into, and um, I'm because I'm thinking like how do we pass on this positivity or how do we communicate this this positivity? And you you are right. It's when I think about well, I, I just want I'm just here to have fun. Right. I I want to watch sports coverage in Welch. Cool. I will do this. Mm-hmm then I don't care what level I am. I really do not. Right. But if I think, oh, well, you've been doing this for four years, what have you got to show for yourself? Then mm-hmm. I, I get into a completely different place mentally.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you got to say, well, what was I able to do a year ago? I'm an awful lot better now. I, I always feel like, wow, Like when I started into Arabic with their script and there's four different forms of each letter, and this stuff is impossible, And but uh, look at me now, I can read. I read slowly, make mistakes in my reading, but compared to where I was, wow, I, I feel a sense of power. I feel like i'm I have a sense of almost like weightlessness. Look at me, I'm flying, <laughs> even though I'm not flying as high as I would like, but I'm flying nevertheless
1: it's there's an amazing feeling. Do you get this when you know, when the the wall of texts starts to be? separate bits and then there's separate bits that you recognize and it's just like what is happening this is amazing yeah you
0: and some things are, are automatically converted into meaning you you stop even translating and and you just s- stuff because the brain does it for us we're not doing it the brain is doing it and the brain will gradually do it feed it enough give it enough stimulus it'll eventually start doing it But it takes time. You got to wait on your brain. You can't force your brain. I mean, we know, for example, that, uh, you know, so called block learning. If you sit down with a table of of case endings in German or Russian or Polish and try to force yourself to learn it, you won't learn it. And the more you, the harder you try, the less you're learning. But over time, with enough exposure, the brain will start to fit it together slowly.
1: What do you think of then um, formal school learning, which still works very much with blocks and, you know, roads and all that kind of thing?
0: Yeah, I don't think it's very effective. I don't know what they do in Sweden or Holland or or, or even Germany where the level of English is quite high, but I suspect it's factors outside the classroom that affect the, uh, you know, the success of people there in learning other languages. Um, You know, a level of motivation because uh, very often they're, uh, surrounded, you know, Dutch people are surrounded by speakers of other languages. Uh, I know in Sweden they hear the kids hear, uh, you know, the television programs in the original language. So initially the kids are conditioned to the fact that they won't understand what's happening, and and that's okay. And then they get, you know, to the bra- their brains get comfortable with other languages. Uh, I, I suspect it's not necessarily the teaching methodology because I think teachers like the idea that I taught you this, now you will repeat it back to me. And I will test you. And if you get a good uh, score, that means that I'm a good teacher. So, teachers like teaching. And so, I suspect uh, uh, personally, if I were in a classroom uh, and I saw an evidence of this in, in Japan, I just let people read, get them exposed to the language.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Find different ways to, to interest them in the language, find them things to listen to and read that they're interested in. Let them get used to the language, let them get used to not understanding, to the ambiguity all of those kinds of things, Uh, because, you know, making sure they nail down the subjunctive is so, is, is pointless. Like there's a lot of native speakers that don't use the subjunctive. But it's one of these things, you know, that, that can be taught and then can be tested for. And uh, someone who maybe has a good sense of, of the rules governing the subjunctive may still not be able to communicate very well. So, yeah, I I think the emphasis is wrong. The emphasis should be on comprehension.
1: Definitely. It's, the more I I've started thinking about it, the more I've started learning about learning about learning and the, the process of learning. The more I I think back, I mean, I was I was lucky because school did serve me in terms of in terms of English, but the motivation came from inside of me, and and I I couldn't have you know because because I was in the same room as other people who had no motivation at all. So you can't say it's the room that gave us the motivation. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's just this level of crowd management that schooling mm-hmm. has to do that right. doesn't really serve anybody really for learning
0: but a teacher can be a big motivator like in my case for the french i have a professor of french at mcgill university he was a he motivated me he, he changed my life uh he got me interested in, in french and then subsequently i continued learning other languages so the, the the fundamental role of a teacher is to stimulate guide encourage uh the learner and not not, not to be the source of all wisdom on the language because there's so many sources. You don't even need to buy a, any kind of a book. You can Google for anything governing any language, any language, I don't know, Estonian, Georgian. You can find everything you need to know. So that the, the bigger issue is how do you stimulate someone to learn Georgian, Estonian, or Swahili? You know? So it's, it, I think that's the role of the teacher nowadays.
1: Yeah. Yeah, teachers used to be... They used to be access, they used mm-hmm. to be almost gatekeeper, which mm-hmm. is the internet's completely taken that away.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although the teacher can be a guide, like it's still a lot of work to find stuff, to find good content. And so, and this is something we want to do better at Link is, is to usher, once they've got a certain level of basics down through say our mini stories, then Netflix and, and making it easier to find stuff of interest, YouTube, things that they can bring in and that they can learn from. And, and it's still, I find it's a lot of work right now for me. I've got to find the podcast. I've got to get it transcribed. There's a lot of work. So whatever can be done. Now, kids in school are not going to listen to political podcasts, but, but the teacher should be finding stuff of interest to them that they can access in some way. Mm-hmm. So to that extent, the teacher becomes a guide. It's not necessarily a gatekeeper, but a, a guide. Maybe you want to go here and there and look for something of interest to you. And uh, maybe the teacher can talk about it in an exciting way. You know, uh, in France, whatever, or in German rock music, which I know nothing about, but apparently some people like learning German because of German rock music or anime for Japanese. So the teacher needs to find the trigger points for their learners to get them motivated to go out and learn.
1: Yeah. And then you, the the smaller your group or the more individual, the learner, I think the more you can, you can impact that. Mm -hmm. Did you notice by the way, that there is an episode of this podcast available on link?
0: Oh, all right. I didn't know that. It's a,
1: it's a, it's a bilingual show I did with Judith Meyer. So we talked about language learning, of course. And for that particular episode, I had a transcript made, so I was able to upload it and kind of,
0: Oh, I'll give it excellent. to
1: link as well. Oh, so, well thank you, you Thank you, thank you. No worries. Do check it out.: All right <laughs> so, Now I wanted to ask you, because you've learned so many different languages, but you you keep adding new ones, mm-hmm. um, is there something in particular that attracts you to a new language when you you know if you think back what is it, is it always the same thing, or is it a language kind of just captures you at some point?
0: It can be anything. Um, so, you know, my wife and I were going to visit Israel. So I tried to learn Hebrew for a few weeks, which is obviously not enough to do anything. And, but it was obviously difficult because of the writing system. And, uh, we enjoyed our visit to Israel. Uh, whenever I was confronted with stuff written only in Hebrew, I was stuck, of course. But then we went into Jordan and saw Petra. And then I said to myself, you know, there's like three, four hundred million Arabic speakers and 10 million Hebrew speakers. I think I'm going to switch to Arabic. So that was the motivation. I was kind of curious about the whole Arab world, Arab history, you name it. And so then I learned the Arabic script. And then in Vancouver, we don't have many Arabic speakers, but we have lots of Iranian immigrants. So then I said, hey, I've learned the Arabic script. Maybe I should learn Persian. So I decided to start learning Persian. And then my wife was on Netflix. She was watching Turkish soap operas. And I thought, hey, it's kind of a neat language. So maybe I'll try to learn Turkish as well. I mean, there's nothing more profound than that. Uh, When before going to, we visited Crete, the same trip we went to Israel, we visited Crete. So I spent, uh, you know, half a year learning Greek. Uh, I was going to go to Romania because we do business, lumber business in Romania. So I learned some Romanian, which is quite easy to learn, actually. So it could be anything. Uh, Russian. I started learning Russian at age 60 because people said, "Well, your emphasis on, you know, your approach to language learning, which de-emphasizes grammar, won't work for Slavic languages." So there, okay, that's a good reason to learn Russian. And so I decided to learn Russian. So it can be anything. It can be anything. So and I'll be a while with my three Middle Eastern languages. So in the short run, I have no other immediate plans other than perhaps Catalan because we put Catalan on link. And uh, Catalan looks like it's pretty easy to learn. And we were recently in Catalonia. So it can be anything.
1: I wanted to ask a lot of what you mentioned uh, related to travel. So travel is a huge motivator. And obviously you've been been fortunate to travel a lot uh, in your your life. Mm -hmm. And some people might, might say that's really prohibitive. I don't have the time. I don't have the money to travel. So I wondered if you've got any either tips or any thoughts on the role that travel should play in, in learning a language?
0: So, sort of my language learning life divides into two periods. Uh, when I was uh, actively involved in doing business, then the language learning related to my business, to my travels. Japanese, Chinese, German, Swedish, Spanish less so, uh, Italian. But since then, uh, it hasn't. And even with the Chinese, like I learned Mandarin Chinese in Hong Kong, where essentially no one spoke Mandarin. Um, but since sort of the age of 60, I learned Russian. I eventually went there for 12 days, but I learned it all without going to Russia. Uh, I did the same with Czech. I spent, I don't know, eight months or so on Czech, and then I went for a, a visit for a week or so to speak it, and that's about it. So, as I said earlier, you know, Romanian and Greek, I did it similarly. I, I sort of worked up to a certain level then i went there uh but uh, i haven't been to iran i I think it's going to be difficult to go to iran i hope to go to turkey if i get the language level up Uh, i was in morocco and uh, surprisingly the taxi drivers there did speak standard arabic so i mean it, it is a bit of a motivator for me i'm retired uh you know i can say yeah i'd like to go to turkey one day uh, so that's part of the motivation of learning the language. But you don't have to be there to learn the language. You can build up, and as I say, in Hong Kong, I learn Mandarin without being in an, a Mandarin-speaking environment. So you don't need to go to where the language is spoken, but that can be a motivator. Uh, but it, you might be motivated by, uh, as I say, Japanese anime or, or anything. Uh, one of my motivations for learning Russian was that I wanted to read uh, Tolstoy and Dostoevsky in the original. So that can be the motivator. So it doesn't have to be a trip to the country, but obviously once you have the language up to a certain level, and I I wouldn't go to the country until you at least are at an intermediate level, otherwise you won't be able to take advantage of being there. You know, if you, if you uh, arrive, uh, sometimes hear people complain, oh, I go to Germany and I try to speak to them in German and they reply in English. Yeah, but people just want to communicate. And if they sense that your German is not very good they will come back to you in English, uh, it, which is exactly what, what you would do if the tables were turned. Uh, so you do have to get up to a certain level, and it depends on the country. I mean, in Spain, the English level is not so good. But if you're going to Germany or if you go to Holland and you try to speak Dutch, unless you're good, they're going to come back to you in English. So, you know, you have to get up to a certain level, uh, and then you can take advantage of being there. Mm-hmm. Because your random stranger doesn't want to be your language teacher. Your random stranger just wants to communicate. And and if you want to practice your Dutch or German, maybe they want to practice their English. So what right have you got to impose the language you're learning on them? You know, so I think you, you get yourself up to a certain level and then you go to the, language, to the country.
1: I remember... Uh, the first time I met you was at the polyglot gathering in Bratislava not right. this year but maybe 2 years ago? Yeah,
0: yep. Yeah, yeah. I remember it very well we were at the same hotel.
1: Exactly. And I remember you went f- to find a laundrette and you yes. came back and you were sort of saying like, "Oh, I found the laundrette." And and I did it in Slovak and yeah. that sense of excitement of I course. I share that sense of excitement when something works in a target language. Exactly. And it's that's that, to a certain extent, is almost what you do it for then. It's the, like, I just did a thing rather than I'm expecting myself to do 20 things. And, and I feel like how oh, I'm falling short. I feel like you've got a real, you have you know, you've got a sense of wonder that you you just did a thing. That's so, so cool.
0: Well, and, and that thing can be any number of things. Like before the conference in Bratislava, I spent two weeks doing a lot of listening to Slowback to the mini stories at Link. Now, prior to that, I had spent a good part of a year listening to Ukrainian, Ukrainian audiobooks on Ukrainian history. I mean, my Ukrainian was far superior to my Slovak, but the Slovak pushed the Ukrainian out so that I had the conversation in Slovak with that woman in the shopping mall, but uh, a Ukrainian came up to me at the conference and started speaking to me in Ukrainian. I understood him, but I couldn't answer in Ukrainian. I just couldn't. But, you know, a week later, I was in Lviv, Ukraine, and I was operating quite comfortably in Ukrainian. So sometimes a language can temporarily, temporarily push another language out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But uh, then you just need an opportunity then to start using it and, and it'll come back. But uh, speaking to the lady in the shopping mall is one sense of achievement. But also being able to listen to audiobooks about Ukrainian history gives you a sense of a tremendous sense of achievement. You know, reading and then listening to the history of this country that whose language you're learning, it gives you a tremendous sense of achievement. Maybe more lasting than uh, being able to talk to the lady in the laundry.
1: Yes, absolutely. And just you no, know, discovering discovering the world through other languages mm-hmm. does a real does a real value to that. Yeah, Steve, have you ever had a language that just didn't work for you? Where it just, No, it just it's work. not
0: that, but some languages are hard because of the lack of good content. And mm. I struggled with Korean because there's a lot of learner stuff in Korean that's not very interesting. And, um, but now, I mean, perhaps with, fun, and I found podcasts and I was paying people to transcribe them, which was very expensive. I haven't tried the uh, automatic transcription service for Korean to see how accurate it is but it's, it's when you can't find good content even with greek i struggled between our many stories and then looking for actually interesting content was a bit of a struggle i found some podcast on building the parthenon but there wasn't uh, it was it was a struggle so the biggest problem is finding motivating interesting compelling content in the language so like czech they did a great job czech russian uh lots of stuff so i think that's the biggest issue is, is can you find good good, interesting content.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, with Mandarin, I found it, I've recently found it, I've been probably serious-ish about Mandarin for about, right, well, yeah, this year, mm-hmm. pretty much, and then last year I was just playing around and sort of going, like, oh, look, this is, these are characters, wow, these are tones, mm-hmm. and then sort of this year kind of paid a little bit more attention to it, and I recently decided, I think partly because I felt like it's that same desire that desire to use it or to you know to just feel like you know feel like I'm not just like learning about this language if because if if I'm just learning the the 12 words for rooms in the house I feel like I'm learning about Chinese but I'm not really learning Chinese
2: mm-hmm.
1: so in the end I was like okay I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do this this other way of doing it and found myself a tutor who wasn't working with a textbook or anything and I said I sent them a message before and saying like this is gonna be uh, possibly fun, possibly awkward. I don't know. I'm just gonna let's just chat. And but I can't speak Chinese. I'm. I can only like type things into Google Translate and and read them out, and then maybe say things like, "I don't understand. Hmm. What does that mean?" You know. So, but the the experience that I had was actually really positive joyful and lots and lots of fun Mm -hmm. partly because it was and and I think mostly because actually because we were able to actually talk about something that is interesting Mm -hmm. even if it's just hey you've got a cat I've got a cat let's look at cat pictures on each Mm -hmm. other's phone Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter so it's almost what I feel you know because often people get stuck on oh should you read first or speak first or do this first but really to, when I when I hear you when I hear you speaking, I'm thinking that is exactly that is exactly the the same principle, which is get to the good bit first, mm-hmm. right?
0: But but you know, with regard to Chinese, again, to me, the sort of the kind of conversation that I can have, I mean, for the longest time, I can only speak to a teacher because I simply don't have enough vocabulary to have a meaningful conversation. And and of course, in in Hong Kong, there were no casual people. There was no grocer that I could go and speak to in Mandarin, as I could in in Japan. But what was fascinating to me was to discover this other culture. Uh, And particularly, I found the whole period of the warlords and and the 30s in China, uh, you know, kind of traditional China moving into the modern era, and reading about that and hearing audio material about China as it as it confronted the world outside it. So it, it was an, an engaging with interesting content, not so much conversations that I could have. It was only after six or seven or eight months that I could then have a meaningful conversation where we could even discuss some of these things, where I could discuss some of these things in Chinese. So what I'm able to say early on, it, to me, is not a big motivator. Uh, the bigger issue is how much do I understand and how much can I delve into the history and the culture of, of the language?
1: It's yeah, it's, it's fascinating because, because that is, that is the bit that, that interests you. Mm-hmm. And whereas to me, it's like, I've, I've been to China before and, what what attracted me to the language was partly, well, Kirsten, you've never done East Asian before. Like, I've done Welsh before mm-hmm. I've done East Asian. It's probably about time I tried. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I was thinking was that, you know, we have so many Chinese students in the UK. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool just to understand what these people I, are saying? And mm-hmm. the other day I was on the train and there were two of them there. And at some point I heard her explain claim, weishima. And I was like, whoa, I understood what that meant. Yeah. That was so it's so so cool, and it's just you know those experiences to to have those mm-hmm. is is really is really what we're in it for and if you focus on those
2: mm-hmm.
1: i'm trying to I'm trying to kind of capture what is this this really awesome positivity that that you have, and as you're talking about the language i I get excited because you're reminding me of the moments in, you know, when I have experienced mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. those moments of positivity of just like, oh, I get it.
0: Well, I mean, everybody has to find their own and some people don't have an interest in it, which is fine too. You know, not everyone is going to be interested in the same thing. But uh, to me, you know, I, I put on my uh, Persian podcast and I can understand a lot of what they're saying. Uh, it, to me, it's, it's the whole comprehension thing, being able to understand something that was just noise um if i uh, you know i mean obviously if i'm back in vancouver and i go in a department store and the sales clerk is iranian and i chat them up in persian and they're very they're, i mean the persians react so positively when you speak their language it's just amazing so you know you got a friend anytime you see a per i see a persian i speak to them in persian i've got a friend you know so that's kind of nice but the bigger thing is just being under being able to understand more and more
1: mm. now you've mentioned link a few times and i i'd, I'd- don't want to let you go without mm. uh, discussing Link. We've previously on the podcast I've spoken to Shannon Kennedy a few times. She's a she's a friend and yes. she's on the show regularly. She's a big big fan. So we have discussed Link, but for listeners who don't have any clue about Link, uh, it's it's sort of your baby, right? Yeah, I mean it's
0: my together with my son. My son Mark is he runs it. He sort of decides what we're going to do, and then he's got a group of programmers both in Vancouver and. Uh, offshore, you know, Ukraine, Korea, wherever, and they're constantly upgrading it and improving it and and so forth. But the gist of it is, it's it's pre- predominantly about input based learning. I mean, we do have tutors you can talk to, but that's not the main thing. And I think iTalki does a better job when it comes to connecting with tutors. Uh, what we do is we have you know large libraries of content in thirty three or thirty five languages, always audio and text. And a bunch of functionality that makes it easier to learn from this content, plus the ability to bring in anything from the internet, which might be newspaper articles, uh, the dialogue from Netflix uh, YouTube uh, you know uh, the subtitles off of the YouTube video and so you create this body of lessons whether from our library or elsewhere and and then there's a bunch of uh, statistics so uh, you know because you have to you know, for me right now, I'm creating 300 links a day. I'm saving 300 new words a day, words that were unknown to me. And, and then I track how I'm doing and there's statistics on how many words I've learned and how many hours I've listened. And so I'm in an environment that keeps me uh, on the task of learning and actually learns makes that whole learning process, in my opinion, more efficient. So it's one approach. Uh, we're not duolingo. We're not gamified. I mean, there are elements perhaps of gamification, but, but mostly it's, it's a, a place where you can engage, where you can find content of interest. You can bring in content of interest from the internet and you can engage with it in a way that's effective and motivating. And if you stay with it, you will improve.
1: Mm-hmm. I've used Link for for Chinese oh, yeah. because I only was aware of it since I started learning Welsh, mm-hmm. and Link doesn't work in Welsh yet. We don't so. have Welsh.
0: No, we're happy to add. We're happy to add a language if we get, as a minimum, the sixty mini stories, and if we have that, and we got that for Hungarian and Catalan, so we recently added it. Mm-hmm. But we need because we can't just offer a language and then have three items of content in our library because people would be. Disappointed to say the least. So we have to have a minimum, a critical mass of content in our library, and then we add the language.
1: Mm -hmm. And well, it'll. I mean, I'm sure it'll get there. It'll get there when it gets there. Somebody has
0: to see again for the less. Call it. I don't want to call them less important languages, but languages that are studied by fewer people. We're not so keen to spend the money to translate and record a whole bunch of stuff. We have done that for the main languages but we know there won't be very many people studying it so we prefer to apply our resources to more popular languages but we will upload if we get volunteers who translate our many stories into welsh and record them we will put it up and we'll upload the language
1: mm-hmm, for sure well i i was able to to use it with mandarin which again is you know when you're when you're learning a language that is a minority language mm-hmm. you quickly you quickly as well just accept that Mm -hmm. there's certain materials that aren't that aren't available but there's certain other materials that are available so you know we we can we can work with it and but having tried out link for mandarin i thought it was fantastic especially as a complete beginner Mm -hmm. to come to it and get content that is that that works mm-hmm. even you know that that works and challenges me right. and it's not this sort of stupid like here is a list of the 17 rooms in a house or something right. like that, but it's actually yeah. stuff that makes sense yeah and i really enjoyed it i have to tell you now that i'm done with a few of the mini stories i feel mm-hmm. like i've kind of exhausted the beginner content and the next thing i tried there was such a big gap yep. that i'm currently a little bit off link so. right
0: well that's the difficulty yeah that's the difficulty and of course it varies from language to language
1: mm-hmm. but
0: the difficulty is always you know we're dealing with the fact that word frequency you know statistically drops off very very quickly uh, i think you may be aware of that it's like a, almost a straight line down so the first thousand words appear very frequently but it's, it's like the, the remaining nine thousand words that you need appear so infrequently that once you're past the sort of beginner material, you are always going to struggle, and that's just part of language learning. You you are always going to struggle to find that 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 intermediate, that mid level type of content. So I don't mm-hmm. know what's out there for Chinese. You're going to have to look for it. I'm looking for the same in Arabic.
1: Definitely, and th- th- this is I think it was a it was a really good level to start doing Italki and just start going. Okay, well those. 50 60 words that I'm confident in I'm just gonna throw them at something Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and I think that is what's gonna it's what's gonna bridge the gap and bring me back to Mm -hmm. more reading Mm -hmm. so that I can go back and forth especially with Chinese where you've got a whole different writing system Mm -hmm. that you don't that you don't desperately need to push to read so I was Mm -hmm. like well okay I'm gonna as long as I can sort of read out opinion and stuff like that and have conversation, you know, basics, mm-hmm. then I'm happy for now. And then I'm going back into the characters. That I found myself dipping in and out with with Mandarin in particular. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Which is something that's that's completely new to me because it's my first, I mean, Cyrillic doesn't count because Cyrillic is fairly still fairly related to Latin. So mm-hmm. I didn't find that that's not as crazy to put no, <laughs> no. your head around for the first time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So anyway, this isn't Mandarin cast, <laughs> but but definitely wanted to, you know, give give everybody an opportunity to kind of get a sense of Link as well. So do okay. try it out. And we very, very often mention Link here on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So listeners, who oh, haven't tried Link yet, I'm gonna put a, a link to Link. <laughs> mm-hmm. yes thank you. thank you, thank <laughs> you, thank you. No, Steve, you're you're welcome. It's it's a it's a really good resource that many language learners benefit from
0: well i mean i think uh yeah uh, it works for me and uh, it works for a lot of people uh i think it fills it it fills a need uh, as i say it's focused on uh, efficient input based learning um italki does other things uh duolingo does other things uh, so uh, but uh, i spend most of my time on link that's where i learn languages
1: mm. it's it's always i sometimes the, the question comes up especially in, in new language learners you we, we know which tool is the best or what kind of method is the best and I always go with um, something that a previous guest said which I thought play, uh, p- phrased it so well which is everything works and not mm-hmm. that to me everything works, everything mm-hmm. works for someone mm-hmm. and it is up to you to the the learner mm-hmm. it's up to you to explore
2: mm-hmm. and,
1: and make your own choices
2: mm-hmm. yep
1: So, Steve, here on the podcast, we've definitely run out of time. It's very interesting. I always enjoy talking to you. Here on the podcast, I have a Mm sign-off that is I say goodbye in English, and I ask my guests to say goodbye in whichever language they choose to do. Mm -hmm. It is goodbye from me to steve kaufman and to all of you listeners and steve thank you so much for taking the time so it's goodbye from me goodbye and goodbye from steve kaufman Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show by leaving a review in your podcast app or even becoming a member of our Patreon community where our supporter perks include a secret feed full of added show notes and a VIP option where you can get priority answers to your listener questions on the podcast. Don't forget that you can send us your language questions and feedback to hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk or find us on Twitter at The Fluent Show or Instagram hashtag The Fluent Show. We're always so excited to hear from you and read every message and review. See you next week.